Thank you so much. Thank you so much for welcoming us into Ruai. This is my first time here. I, um, I come from Whangarei. I work over there and I live over there. And uh, I travel all over the motu with pearls. And I've been part of pearls now for nearly two years, actually. Yeah, and uh, it's been a, a wonderful experience. It's been a humbling experience to see what God is doing with everyone. And uh, many people come in to the midst of pearls. And, you know, God is healing, setting free, healing the brokenhearted. He's healing our land. And, he, and he's calling people from all places in our land that are hearing the call of the land. And there's something that's been deposited in our nation that we knew nothing about, you know. When we were walking out and playing in the playgrounds and getting up to mischief and doing all our stuff, God was already doing something in our nation. You know, and as I've traveled, you know, the nation and we've stayed on Marais and we've, we've heard heritage, you know, we've heard about Waka that came here because they heard something too, you know, and there weren't just one or two that came. You know, Waka came here before the settling Wakas came. You know, and there was something about this nation that was so God divine. You know, God had something in place that drew the waka here. And I don't think that they fully understood themselves what God was placing them here for. You know, I was raised in Wellington. My father is Italian. My mother is from Hokianga. So my mother is Tangatu Whenua. But I never knew much about that. And I wasn't raised much, you know, in the tikanga of my mother's, you know, blood. And uh, so, you know, when I first came up here, I turned up at an intercessory prayer meeting in Moirewa. And uh, God gave me a prophecy. And in the prophecy, the Lord said to me that, you know, the Maori are the carriers of the nation. You know, it came out of my mouth. And I thought, pardon? You know? I didn't know God said things like that about particular groups or tribes or whatever. And then he said to me that the Māori language was really important to him, that he had given it to the Māori people. And I thought, wow, I didn't know God did things like that. You know, we're going to discover in the days to come that God does things that we never knew he did. You know, when I first got saved, you know, I got pregnant very quickly after me and my husband got married. And not long after I got pregnant, the Lord said to me, the baby's not going to make it. I never told a soul. I was a brand new Christian. And I thought, God does things like that? That didn't line up with my Catholic upbringing. It didn't line up with any of the things that I understood about God. But you know, God had a plan. You know, and as the time came, that I actually started to miscarry this child. I had become involved in a high court case in hospital. I was the key witness. I was the reason that the police decided to do a case because I knew that a doctor had done something to one of my patients that he shouldn't have. Every other single professional that I worked with on that particular day didn't, didn't believe a word of the victim. She was a young Maori girl. And, uh, you know, I knew something had happened that should not have happened in a place that should have been a safe place for her. You know, and as it turned out, three other people had been abused by the same doctor, and even worse things had happened for them. 
But you know, during that first court case, I started to miscarry. All kinds of crazy things were going on around me. And when I miscarried, I had absolute peace because I absolutely knew this was right. This was God's hand, you know? And lots of people around me said all kinds of crazy things. I got phone calls from people from church that said to me, oh, the devil's taking your baby. You know, I had people saying crazy stuff to me. But you know what? God had spoken. God had spoken. You know what? And I didn't even have an ounce of grief that I had to worry about. Because the moment I walked out of the hospital after having my miscarriage, I was back in hospital that very night with my son with pneumonia. You know, God's hand was on it all, you know. And you know, so sometimes God does stuff that doesn't make sense to up here, eh? You know, who are we? We're his creation. He's our creator. And God has set something in motion in our land. Whether we are Parkia, Italian, Yugoslav, Māori, whatever we are, we are part of what God is doing here. But it has a starting point. And God is the starting point. He's our starting point, And he is our end point. Amen. And God started something in us. And he called us something. Even when we didn't want to call ourselves anything. You know, we're, in, we're coming to a stage in what we're called to. That is now the 11th hour of your destiny. You know, the Apostle Paul was called Apostle Paul by God when he was out there holding the cloaks while Stephen was being stoned. God called Paul the Apostle when he was blinded and couldn't see a thing and did not understand what was happening to himself. You've got to understand Paul was a man of great ability, great intellect. You know, if we had him in our society now, he'd be one of the professionals in the house because he had great training. You know, and this man found himself blinded, didn't know where to go, didn't know which way to go, but just hearing a voice, just hearing a voice that said something to him that everything in him knew was right. For one moment in his life, he heard something that went beyond his intellect, went beyond his experience, went beyond all of those things that had led him and shown him how to go through life. And in that one moment, he realized how useless his intellect was. He realized how useless all that professionalism was, how useless all that training that he thought was so grand. And he came to that place in his life and he says, I count it all as rubbish, all of it, all that greatness. You know, there's some things that God's going to do in us that we're not going to understand up here. We're not going to be able to work it out. We're going to go, man, how come there's all these prophecies about Maoris? What about me? Where's my place? What am I supposed to be doing? But I'm going to say this to you. There's a starting point and an ending point with God. And only He knows where we end. We don't see it. 
We prophesy in part. We know in part. But we're not the God of the heavens and the earth, are we? You know, Paul came to a place in his life that was a very different man than that man that was happy to stone, that was so viciously pursuing Christians to make sure he could shut their mouths. You know, he came to a very different place. But I'll say this to you, God always had a calling on his life. From his mother's womb, he had a calling on his life. And it didn't matter where he ran to, God still called it out of him. God still called it over his life. God still made a way for him to walk into that calling in him. He was not a man that understood much about Romans. He was not a man that understood a lot about politics. He was not a man that understood all those things. And yet look what God called him to. I don't believe that as a great Pharisee, you know, and a great man of the word, that he ever saw himself celebrating being in a Roman cell for the sake of the elect. Amen. He never saw that coming. What a word to have. Oh, you, go sit in a rotting little cell, the worst cell that they could have in Rome. Sit in there so that you can be a witness to the elect. Amen. He says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You know what? That became his focus, you know? And we're looking at Paul. This is in Timothy. We're looking at Paul at the end of his ministry. I believe the letter to Timothy is his last letter. You know, this is the guy that he wanted to talk to. This is the guy he wanted to talk to in his last letter. But you know what? It wasn't the guy that started off that walk. You know, when he went out on his first missionary trip, he didn't want anyone with him. He thought he was so great and so mighty. He thought he had it all worked out, that he even kicked people off the team. He had division with people that should have been his leaders beside him. And he said, I'm off. I'm going my way. He thought he was so great. But you know what? This guy here, this is a different guy. He talks of uh, Timothy and he says, you know, night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. You know, that sounds like a mills and bones. You know, there's so much emotion in this, in this letter. That doesn't sound like the guy that we read about earlier on. You know, he was very dogmatic. He was very straightforward. He didn't put up with anybody. He wasn't going to tell anyone in his team on that first missionary how wonderful they were. He wasn't even caring about what tears they had. He, was, he had his eyes on something, and he was just chasing it. And if you didn't join the team and run like he ran, you were cut. He was a tough leader, a tough guy to be around. But man, this is 11th hour Apostle Paul right here, you know? And God's calling us into our 11th hour calling. And it looks different. 
to what we started with. You know, I was raised up in Wellington. I was raised up in the churches in Wellington. If any of you have been around Wellington and been in churches there, you will know full well that the ministry of prophetic is a very difficult place. You know, my very, very first church, I was pushed forward. But that church lasted about one year and everything fell apart. So Lisa had to go and try and find her way. You know, and my second church I went into, the pastors, it was a very evangelical church. We were out in the streets witnessing all the time. They preached that a woman speaking, not prophesying, speaking, was like a dog walking on two legs. Can you imagine being a prophet in a house like that and a woman? You know, but you know what? I determined in my heart, Lord, I'm here to serve you. And I don't really care what it looks like. Because you know what? If God wants you to fly, he will make you fly. You don't have to make any of it happen. Amen? Because he's the author and the finisher of your faith, which means everything in your life, everything, every detail, he has already prescribed it. He's written it out and he's filled it out. And he's the one that's going to make it happen for you. All we have to do is give him our heart. That's all he's asked. He just says, believe in me. Believe in me. That's all he's asked me to do. And I know that's all he's asking you to do. You know? So, you know, that first stage of my life looked very different to what it looks like now. And yet I'm not doing anything different. I'm still just following him the same. You know, we're all called to be servants first. You know, that's what we're called to. You know, and what comes out of that is his will. You know, Paul knew very well how to be a servant. Amen? He says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but it make, gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Those three will get you through. You know, without discipline, you're going to trip up on some things. If you're not walking in love, what are you walking in? What are you walking in? Love should always be your ambition. Love should always be what motivates you to serve your master and to serve him with everything that you have. If you're not doing it, if the love factor isn't melting this every single day, then what is? What's your aim? You know what? We've got a lot of fan clubs in the kingdom. We've got a lot of motivations in the kingdom. But this is the hour for the true to arise. This is the hour. You know, we've had prophets and apostles and evangelists. We've had it all, haven't we? But this is the hour for the true evangelist. This is the hour for the true apostle. This is the hour for the true prophet. For the true prophetic has been released in this nation like never before. We are hearing from the heart of God like never before. It's shaking our bones. You know, Jeremiah said, I don't want to prophesy anymore. I don't want to open my mouth anymore. Because look what keeps happening. It's so awful. I just want to die. I just want to run from it. But he says, it's your word, your word. I can't shut it up. 
This is the truth that comes out when everything that comes against us looks like we can't do it. Something's rising up within us. Something's so true because in that instant, it can only be the truth that rises up. You know, with all the trauma, all the grief, all the horror, And I can tell you I've walked through some horror in church. I've walked through some horror in the house. I've walked through some horror. But as true keeps pulling me, as true keeps reaching into me and making something come alive in me, and even when everything inside of me wants to give up, he never wants to give up. He wants to keep pulling out what is so true, which is so him, that only him comes out. And that's the hour that we're in right now. You know, we're on the cusp of the most powerful move of God because very simply, God is pulling out the most true in you that you will ever, ever know. He is pulling out the truest of himself out of you. In your bones, he has locked in himself. You know, Jeremiah said, it's in my bones, it's in my bones, and I can't hold it in. I'm trying with everything I have, but I can't hold it in. You know, that's us. That's us, amen? You know, in your heart, you know that's you. That's who you are. That's the DNA of the Father. You know, it's beyond what we can do. It's beyond it. Amen. You know, the heart of the apostle is a heart for the people. You know, we have all these definitions of what apostle and prophet and evangelist, whatever. You know, you're called to something. Just do it. But you know what? My one definition of prophet, evangelist, apostle, is a heart for the people. You know what? Paul said, I'm being poured out like wine. You know, so minced up, so much pressure, so much of him just torn apart and broken that it comes out like wine. Does it come out like wine out of your life? You know, Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine. You know, and they said, wow, you've brought out the best wine for last. Guess what? He's bringing out the best wine for last. Amen? Amen. And that's who we are. We're not just the best wine. We're the new wine. Yeah? We've heard about it. We've heard about this new wine. But have a look around. It's here. It's here. It's you and me. You know that wine, you get the grapes, and you stand on it. And you stand on it, and you stand on it, and you stand on it. And that goes on for a fair bit of time. And sometimes there's a bit of a party going on. Sometimes there's a bit of a funeral going on as you stand on it, as you crush that grape, as you squeeze out that wine. You know, that wine don't just come out by itself. You know, there's some things that have gone on in your life to bring you into your 11th hour calling. And you are in your 11th hour calling. And you have been like that grape. I know you have, because I've been like that grape. 
And I know some others that have been like that grape. There's some DNA in the, in, the, in the Lord that's in us that makes us be able to come out like wine. We were destined to be like that wine. We were destined to be so sweet that they can't say no to who you are because there's something in you that's such beautiful wine. And the guests at the party said, wow, your best wine came out last. Oh, thank you. You know what? Your neighbours are going to get some of that sweet wine. You know what? There's some people in this district that you have been appointed to be the sweetest wine for. Amen? You know, I spent 20 years in Wellington, you know, and I moved up to Levin for seven years. And when I was in Levin, I couldn't even get someone to come into my house for a cup of coffee. You know, I was like, man, Lord, does no one like me? Can I not just have one friend? I had a friend in America, beautiful Christian lady. And, you know, she reminds me of everything you think a Christian should be like. You know, she has beautiful Christian kids. They all had beautiful Christian marriages. She's got great, she's got great grandchildren. You know, the whole family are all Christians. You know, kind of reminds me of a Christian Walton's kind of story. And, you know, this lady, you know, I was thinking to myself, man, Lord, look at everything she's got. i got none of that. You know, my husband won't even come to church with me. My kids all decided to rebel on me. When I thought they were out of all the drug stages, they started to start growing drugs and smoking drugs and talking drugs and Facebooking drugs. I'm like, oh, my Lord. Lord, I thought you called me for something. Now look at my family. You know, I go to church, and the pastor wouldn't even talk to me. You know, you bring out a prophecy or something. Oh, that's nice. More like a performance. But Lord, I'm not a performance. I haven't gone through all this, Lord, just to be a performance. Make the church feel good. Make them feel like somebody's happening in my church. You know? And then I had people going, oh, she's ours. You know? Because they like to hear a prophecy now and again. But God doesn't just come and bring a prophecy to make you feel good. He doesn't bring a prophecy just to make you feel like, oh, God's in the house. God's in the house whether you're there or not. You know what? He invited you to church. You didn't invite him to church. Amen. He invited you to the party. He said, I chose you. You didn't choose me. You know, we're going to get around the right way. You know, because he is the author and the finisher. You know the author? He's the one that writes the book. Amen. He's the one that edits the book. He's the one that puts the words in the book that you can understand. Amen? He's the one that tells the story, and he's the one that knows the ending of your story. Amen? You know, and his story, it's a good story. It's not just a good story. It's a great story. Amen? And there's a great story, not only for you, but there's a great story for Ruawai. There's a great story for Northland. There's a great story for our nation. There's a great story for the nations. We're the first to see the sun. We're the first that the eastern gate from Jerusalem faces toward. We're the east. We are the first. We are the first in the nations. And God has already spoken over our nation. You know, 
I came to this realization a few weeks ago. Before I came to Northland, I never ever knew of a single prophecy over our nation that, in regard to the Māori people. So as I said when I first came up, I was a bit shocked. I didn't know God had anything in store. That's how the Wellington market is for Christianese. Uh, you know, Northland, Māori, uh, what's that, you know? And, uh, you know, so it's very easy to actually be, you know, not really Māori in Wellington, you know, in a Christian environment. But when I came up, I was very surprised that so many people of such different calibre have spoken about this Māori revival. Now we go around with pearls and all kinds of people pop up and they tell us their visions, vision after vision from all kinds of people, least of all the Māoris, you know? I haven't heard it coming from the Māori mouth. I've heard it from every other herald that God has sent to us. You know, we've got the Americans, the Inuits, the Australians. We've got all these nations that have prophesied this move that God has planned. You know, there's a framework over our nation. It's the framework of God. You know, when we prophesy into something, God says that I will watch over my word and I will see it to fulfillment. He says, I don't change. So you know, every prophecy we see in the Bible, and we've seen many prophecy fulfilled, every detail of Jesus fulfilled, so much for Israel fulfilled. You know, and Israel is moving into a new motion right now, and they, are no, they know it. You know, and you know, when God prophesies over a nation, as much as he has prophesied over this nation, we do need to take notice. We, know, we need to just believe that this is God, that it's not some agenda from some little minute group you know, that it's not just some fantasy to keep us on the edge as a Christian people. You know, it's because God wants to engage with your destiny. He wants to engage with what you have. He wants to engage with you so that you can come to your 11th hour and you can be poured out like wine. And you know what? It's the pouring out that's the good stuff. It's the pouring out, the stuff that comes out of you, that establishes something in somebody's life that you're just going to go, wow, I never knew that I could touch somebody like that. I never knew that I could prophesy like that. I never knew that I could pray like that. I never knew that I could give like that. I never knew that I could love like that. These are all qualities that whatever your calling is, whatever your ministry is, whether it's to cook in the kitchen, clean the toilets, preach up here, lead worship, whatever. You know what? It's time to go. It's time to step out, to go even beyond the borders and the boundaries that you have known in your Christian walk. You know, look at where Paul ended up. You know, influencing, you know, great, powerful Romans. And he influenced quite a lot of leaders. Amen. He influenced a whole body of Christ by who he was. You know, he said, I didn't do too well at speaking. You know, I wasn't too good at speaking. You know, when they spoke about him, they said, oh, you know, you weren't that great at speaking. But there was something great in Paul. There was something great in Paul. Paul 
always wanted to bring the evidence of the power of God. So he said that so that your faith was not on me, that your faith was on others. Amen. God's bringing us to our 11th hour calling. You know, when I started off in Wellington, you know, and I moved in prophetic and stuff like that, you know, I was a Jezebel, I was a controlling, people would come up to me and say, oh, leave your poor husband alone, oh, he's all right, you know, they just presumed I was at home beating and whipping him, you know, because of course, that's what I was like, you know, get up here, do a bit of a prophecy, of course that's who I was, you know. And people misjudge me all the time. You know, for 25 years, I never had a single prophecy over my life. You know, now it's like, like a waterfall. Hard to stop it now. You know, there's people prophesying all over the place. We were in a different season, you know. And for me personally, you know, I'm in my 11th hour. You know, my 11th hour looked really different to those first few hours, yeah? I didn't believe any less, but I tell you, it was, it was hard sometimes. It was hard sometimes to believe that God could use someone with so much rubbish and so much crap, and I struggled so much to believe in myself and God. I struggled so much to believe that He could use someone like me, and I didn't need anybody else to put me down. I did it really well myself. You know, I felt so unlovable and so unloved. How could God love me? You know, the church didn't love me. So how could God love me? You know, and you come out of all these mentalities. You come out of all the stuff from the world. And it takes God a while sometimes to unravel some of that stuff. You know, to bring you into a place where you really can be that sweet wine, that sweet wine. But you know the great thing about going through some of that stuff is you come to know God in a greater strength and power because, you know, I had to rely on him to change this. This was just an absolute mess when I came to the Lord. I didn't even trust myself. You know, when God gave me a word, I'm like, God, is that you? Is that you? Was that you know, that stuff that I just was shaking out of me not long ago. You know, I don't know. No one was telling me how to do it right. My pastor said, go home, pray for an hour in tongues, get your breakthrough. Do you know what it's like to be trying to pray and get a breakthrough when you're so demonically oppressed that you can't hardly even breathe? But you know, I went through some of that stuff, you know, and it was really hard. My husband's in the other room going, can you stop saying those funny words? I don't like those words in my house. You know, and there was a lot of anger in my house. There was anger at church. There was anger at home. When I went to work and I told them I got saved and, you know, all this wonderful stuff, they're like, oh, you if, if, if. You know, my family went, oh, you if, if, if. You know, so everywhere around me was just all this, like, angry, yucky stuff going on. And I'm struggling with who I am. And I'm like, oh, my, you sure you got the right person, God? You know, my family won't even come to my wedding. You know, my husband's angry because we were living together and I, I, I left him and we separated for seven weeks before we got married and he didn't like that very much. He didn't understand that, you know. So, you know, there's all this stuff going on, but I was still called. I was still called way back then. But, you know, walking it out looked different back then. Amen? Yeah. 
just like it did with Paul. But you know, now we're in a different season and we're in a different place. You know, and the, re- and the reality is the wine can get poured out of us now because there's something in us that the author and finisher of our faith has made us able to do. Amen? So, you know, the challenge today is, is the 11th hour call, eh? You know, there's an 11th hour call on our nation, you know, and our nation is not just called for our nation, you know. God doesn't just bless for the, for the sake of blessing. You know, there's always a purpose and an intention that goes way beyond what we understand. Amen? You know, no, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. You know, no mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those that love him. And I know, I know that we love him in this house. He knows that we love him in this house. You know, and God wants to do way more then we can, we can understand. He wants to do way more with your wine than you will ever, ever know. He wants to do way more with your ability than you've actually been able to do with it to date. You know, and the newness, the new season, is this accelerated, amazing, amazing influence that's coming through this land. And God's quite happy to start his influence right now, right here, in this place. God's not going to wait for you to finish getting your certification. God's not going to wait for you to put your makeup on. God's not going to wait for your hair to be done right. God's not going to wait for all of those things. God just wants this beautiful heart that's all his and this beautiful ability that he's placed within you. You know, praise God, we weren't called to be a Jeremiah, you know, because it's not such an easy call, eh? And I would say that, you know, not many of us are called to that in this place. But sometimes we've dabbled with some of that Jeremiah stuff, I mean. Sometimes it's been a bit like that. Sometimes we've thought, hand this to somebody else, thank you very much. But you know what? I would like you to come up. If you want to step into your 11th hour, you know, if there's something that's holding your vision back, if there's something holding you back, if you want to step into acceleration, I want you to come forward, and I'm going to invite the team. I'm going to invite the team. And you know what? We're going to release because we're already stepped into. We're already moving in there, and we're seeing it moving in this nation. God has brought us into the 11th hour of what he is doing amidst the pearls. And so I want you to come up. If you want to step into your 11th hour, and I'll tell you this, you have no idea what the 11th hour looks like, yeah? And let's not, let's not hang around, all right? Let's make the most of today while it is today. Amen?